0: 2022 has not been a great year for real estate investments. The S&P US REIT Index, which tracks publicly traded real estate investment trusts, is down around 23% year-to-date, which is a lot worse than the S&P 500, which is only down 15% over the same period. But not all REITs are down. Non-traded real estate investment trusts seem to be doing just fine. The Blackstone Real Estate Income Trust is up around 9% year-to-date as of last month. Look at that, it is the only one that is up. So let's do a little googling to see what it is that they are doing that is so right. Oh, it seems there is a bit of a problem. There is a headline here. Uh, Blackstone limits withdrawals at a $125 billion property fund as investors rush to exit. Well, Why would people want their money back? Blackstone have managed to buy the only properties that are not down this year and people want their money back? There is just no satisfying some people. There is even a quote from a Blackstone spokesman in the article. Our business is built on performance, not fund flows, and performance is rock solid. In truth, I'm not sure that up 9% is actually rock solid. Rocks aren't up 9%. I mean, the nature of being rock solid is that you don't move around very much. These Blackstone guys possibly need to hire some of the laid off crypto marketers. A better line might be, we reached out to Blackstone for comment, and a spokesman replied with an emoji of a rocket and the moon. I mean, that's why people want out. Rock solid? If people wanted rock solid they could buy a bag of rocks and not have to pay a management fee. Here is a chart from Jeffrey showing how redemptions have risen over the last few months. I'm starting to think that people might not trust these private equity guys. I mean, if you're not going to trust a guy in a polyester fleece vest, who will you trust? Now a cynical view, which of course I would never take, is that non-traded REITs are exactly the same as publicly traded REITs – they invest in property but instead of selling shares on the stock market, they raise money directly from wealthy individuals, and these investors can only cash out once in a while through the fund sponsors. So how can this fund be up when everything else is down? Well, the valuations between the two types of fund differ because public REITs are valued at whatever their shares are trading at on the stock market, while non-traded REITs are valued monthly by their sponsors – Blackstone for example – who work with independent appraisers who analyze the value of the commercial property in the portfolio. Now, of course, if I was an independent appraiser for Blackstone, I might take a bit of a shortcut and say all of the other REITs are down 23%, so this one is too. But I think that's possibly why I'm not an independent appraiser for Blackstone. They'd probably take one look at me and say, he's the kind of guy who'll take lazy shortcuts. So they hired a guy who looked at each individual property in the $125 billion portfolio. Who knows, maybe he... Drove around in his car, and he recognized how much better these properties are than the other ones that are down, uh, which must be exhausting work. Now, Goldman Sachs argues that the Blackstone Reed's geographic tilt towards residential property in the American Sunbelt means that Camden Property Trust and Mid-America apartment communities are the best public equivalents to this Blackstone fund. They are down 32% and 27% respectively year-to-date, so worse than the average REIT. Non-traded REITs are part of a growing market for private investments that appear to be less volatile than public investments. Non-traded REITs have raised more than $92 billion over the last five years, according to the Wall Street Journal. The 23% decline in the S&P index might be explained by investor concern about rising interest rates, falling property values, apartment buildings have fallen 14% in value over the last year, and industrial buildings are down 9% over the same period. And there has been recent weakness in rents too. Combined these factors make real estate investments a lot less attractive in the current market environment. People are also just less excited about rental yields now that interest rates are higher. The Blackstone Real Estate Income Trust charges a 1.25% annual management fee and a 12.5% performance fee on its annual total return, subject to a 5% annual hurdle and a high watermark. The fund has shown a return of over 13% per year after fees since inception in 2017. Last year it earned $1.4 billion in fees for Blackstone, which made up one-fifth of Blackstone's overall fee revenues, according to Goldman Sachs. So this fund does matter for Blackstone. But one way or another, the value of non-traded REITs Does seem to be rising, according to the returns being released by Blackstone and other firms in the same space. And I'm sure that they are right, uh, because why would they mislead us? The firm explained to the Wall Street Journal last month that the stock market is almost always more volatile than the value of the properties that they own, and that publicly traded REITs began the year at excessive prices, and that is part of the reason that they've fallen so much. Now, non-traded REITs do allow investors to cash out if necessary, and we've seen that they have been doing so. But sponsors can freeze redemptions if too many investors want to cash out at the same time, as obviously it's not easy to quickly sell real estate to return money to investors. The Blackstone Fund allows for 2% of assets to be redeemed by clients each month, with a maximum of 5% allowed in a calendar quarter, and the fund had to suspend redemptions as too many are coming in right now. In October, the fund received $1.8 billion in redemption requests, or around 2.7% of its net asset value. And it's already received redemption requests in November and December, exceeding the quarterly limit. So Blackstone only approved 43% of the redemption requests for the fund in November, according to a notice it sent to investors uh, last Thursday. Now, while investors in funds like these can redeem their investments at NAV or net asset value, if the fund has not suspended redemptions, they are also able to just sell their stake in the fund to other investors who might want to buy it. There are specialist firms out there who focus on secondary market trading of these private investments. And investors can just sell through these brokers, but they will need to be willing to offer a discount. So it's basically up 9% year to date as long as you don't want to sell it. Now, we talked a bit in a recent video about venture capital funds, in particular the ones that invested in FTX. A few of the big firms who invested in FTX have written that investment down to zero, and for most of them that investment was a small percentage of their overall portfolios. But many of these funds are still coming under fire for not taking larger markdowns on the rest of their holdings in the face of this year's steep drops in public stock prices. When a lot of these funds are invested in technology startups, it may be reasonable to believe their returns might be similar to the NASDAQ 100 index, which is down 28% year to date, or Cathy Wood's ARC Innovation Fund, which invests in the best technology stocks and is down more than 60% year to date. Investors in these private funds who have not written down their investments. Possibly have inflated ideas of their portfolio's value. So, the majority of private funds are claiming to be up right now. In fact, on average, private equity funds are claiming to be up 3.2% year to date, while everything else is down. Just to be clear, these are not hedge funds. They don't trade in and out of their investments. They don't go short. They just happen to have picked the very best non-public companies to invest in. This happened during the credit crunch too, where it seemed even more egregious. I should be clear that private equity funds are quite different to hedge funds, as hedge funds usually invest in liquid markets and are required to mark their portfolios to market every month. The Economist describes investors in private equity funds as being like babies who love the game of peekaboo. If they can't see their losses, they don't believe that they exist. But is that really how private equity investors actually think? Are private equity investors really that foolish, or do they understand that their investments are down, but just like being told that they're up? And if people get that PE investments are actually volatile, but they just don't see the volatility, what's all the excitement about? Why pay high fees for something like that? Cliff Asness of AQR in a 2019 piece, The Illiquidity Discount, argues that for some investors this pricing opacity may actually be a feature rather than a bug. Liquid accurately priced investments let you know precisely how volatile they are and they smack you in the face with it, he argues. So can private equity investors be compared to Odysseus in Homer's Odyssey, who resists the bewitching song of the sirens by having his ship's crew tie him to the mast while they are ordered to block their own ears with beeswax to prevent themselves from hearing the song? Is the illiquidity there as a rope to prevent these investors from making a foolish mistake? There is an idea in finance of the liquidity premium, which is the extra return a rational investor should demand in order to agree to invest in assets that can't easily be sold at fair market value. You'd naturally want to own assets that can easily be sold at or close to their fair market value, and so you should only agree to invest in something that's difficult to sell if you'll make a higher return. We see this in the bond markets where illiquid off the run bonds typically have a higher yield than the more liquid on the run bonds. But if investors actually realize that accurate and timely information will just make them worse investors, as they will use that liquidity to panic and sell at the worst possible time, are they paying high fees and accepting a lower return? because they feel that illiquid or very infrequently and inaccurately priced investments made them better investors, as essentially it allows them to stop micromanaging their portfolios given low measured volatility and very modest paper drawdowns. Cliff Asnes refers to the way private equity firms provide this service as volatility laundering. He asks in his piece, how honest are these investors with themselves? Are investment committees being told we like these investments even with lower overall returns because we'll all be better off in the long term if we just have less information? A new paper from the University of Florida analyzed nearly 20 years worth of private equity real estate fund data, and concludes that private equity fund managers don't appear to manipulate interim reports to fool their investors, but rather do so because their investors want them to. In the paper, the academics argue, That if a general partner boosts or smooths returns, perhaps by strategically timing asset purchases and sales, or by misstating the values of underlying assets, investment managers within limited partner organizations can report artificially higher Sharpe ratios, alphas, and top line returns, such as IRRs, to their trustees or other overseers. In doing so, these investment managers, whose median tenure of four years often expires before the ultimate returns of a PE fund are realized, might improve their internal job security or potential labor market outcomes. They go on to argue that return manipulations can also produce significant paper wealth for investors. For US public pension investors, this can marginally improve funding statuses or alter required contribution funding rates. Because PE returns are often quoted in IRRs, such return manipulations can even permanently window-dress the PE fund's end-of-life returns, which possibly protects LP investment managers in bad states. Now this approach will have worked better in the past, as even for investors with their eyes squeezed tightly shut, some light is leaking through due to the increasingly active secondary market for trading stakes in private equity funds. $57 billion worth of fund stakes changed hands in the first half of this year according to Jeffries. Interestingly, in different market environments, these things can trade at a discount or at a premium. In 2019, there was so much demand for private equity that investors paid a premium to buy private equity stakes in the secondary market. Right now, the average stake is trading at around a 15% discount to NAV. Thanks for joining for this week's podcast. If you enjoyed it, please recommend it to your friends. Have a great week and talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle.